Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is sponsored by Terraform Development proudly supports the Hopi tribe and nonprofit Hopi entities to provide essential technical support in engineering, architectural, and project management services. Eddie Kalnimtua can relate to the hard work on the Hopi reservation, including the cornfield duties and traditional ceremonies that he was raised on. He values this tradition, so Terraform Development was formed to meet these needs on the Hopi reservation. Contact Terraform Development at T E R R A, the number four O R M. Dot com and follow them on Instagram at Terraform Development. Also sponsored by... Hi, I'm Kiona, Hopi Relief Volunteer and Board Member. Hopi Relief is a grassroots, Hopi-led, nonprofit organization founded to provide relief services, food boxes, and essential supplies to Hopi tribal members throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Our focus is to uplift the Hopi community by empowering our people to create homegrown solutions to challenges we face. We are supported by the generosity of like-minded individuals and organizations who simply want to help. You can get involved by following us on social media, sharing our story, or donating on our website, www.hopirelief.org. We are at Hopi Relief on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You are now listening to the Carl and J-Man Save the World podcast. I'm your host, the five-star, five-diamond chef, and the godfather of Hopi podcasting, J-Man. And with me is the guy that uh, swindled his soul into buying him a battle axe at the local flea market, Carl. (laughs) The godfather. I'm the godfather of this podcast here. I'm I'm like the Don I'm the Don. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that if we presented our um, that type of question to the audience, I think a lot of people would agree that I'm the Godfather. People will say, "Who? J Man? Who?" (laughs) They're like, "Yeah, Carl's the court jester." (laughs) The court jester. Carl and J Man Save the World podcast. (laughs) Carl's like he's the he's the ringleader there. So (laughs) Carl's the (laughs) ringleader of the tukas. He's the ringleader of. And so there were some um, interesting things that transpired over the last uh, week or so, right? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we had this, uh, there was this huge event called Arizona Gives Day. Arizona, Arizona Gives Arizona Day. Gives Day. A lot of the nonprofit organizations out here on Hopi were uh, promoting, you know, for solicitations. And for these nonprofits definitely do provide wonderful services for our people out here on the Hopi tribe. And Carl and J-Man got in the philanthropic mood. And so we were able to give to some of those nonprofits profit organizations during Arizona Gives Day. So we definitely wanted to let people out there yeah. know that uh, Carl and J-Man Care. So, you know, we got the Carl and J-Man Cares project out there going. And then also, too, we did an interview for a very popular radio station called KTNN. Yeah, we did. I mean, it was really fun when we talked to uh, several of the guys from KTNN. And it's for their uh, podcast, Native Connections, and it's also for their commercial broadcasting site uh, on KTNN. So if you're if you're a big fan of KTNN, go listen to us on there. Uh, we'll give you directions. We'll give you directions, and that actually drops because today, technically, it's Wednesday, the fourteenth. Oh yeah, so that drops yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be out tomorrow. They told us uh, two p.m. Uh, standard time, but if you're on the KTNN, I guess. Time zoned, and that's three o'clock your time. So look out on Facebook after this podcast has uh, aired, 
Uh, and we'll uh, give you directions on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then we're also still selling shirts. We have a few of them left. So if you're thinking about getting some shirts, go check those out. You can buy those at bigcartel.com or I'm sorry, at Carl and J-Man forward slash bigcartel.com. <laughs> it's been a while since we plugged those. And so you already <laughs> forgot what, what the uh, web address to that is. But today we've got kind of a, a unique topic, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so today we're going to be kind of talking about Western medicine versus traditional medicine in a way. Sort of like uh, which one's the better Tylenol or Advil? (laughs) (laughs) Which one's the better uh, Tylenol or uh, Mamapi? Mamapi. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, I guess that, you know, this is is kind of I guess it's a topic that's talked about on on the grander scale, on the scale of uh, the larger uh, conversation context of Indian country, but really, I think that when you when you talk about it out here on Hopi, that you know this idea of medicine, I guess, is kind of an interesting thing because we do have you know traditional healers, I guess oh, yeah, you could yeah. call them, you know, in our language we call them tuhikas. But you know the the topic and the subject of tuhikas is kind of something that is, uh, I guess, people out here would call uh, in a uti type of conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's uh, like, you know, Tuhikya uh, is, you know, just a word for healer on the Hopi reservation. And I don't know why Hopis are afraid of Tuhikyas. You know, I don't know why, because Tuhikya means to heal people, to to make sure that they're well. And for some reason, Hopis just don't like to mention Tuhikya in a way. I think it's because they believe that it's a witch doctor or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that they're going to get cursed by somebody. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in anything like that. I don't believe in um, that Tuhikyas are supposed to hurt anybody. Carl believes in things like uh, pseudoscience, uh, the sciences. And so, you know, that that is that it. Uh, you, you are right, though, that that topic is kind of something that people don't like to talk about. And simply because uh, and I, I guess there's a a differentiating thing to discuss in terms of how Hopis view their traditional healers versus how other tribes view their traditional healers. Because then I know that on the larger scale of Indian country that they do try to promote things like traditional healers. Yeah. And I think it's because that those traditional healers that they, um, I, I guess it's kind of more of a prescription type of practice to where they're promoting things like uh, the local um, botany that's around the reservation, things like herbs, things like different types of practices that they um, that that were once used a long time ago in the Hisat time to be able to, I guess, provide a more healthier way for people to take care of themselves. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know it's. It, you know, traditional healing goes back many, many centuries before anything like, uh, you know, uh, Western medicine has to offer. And it's just because people in that in that sense wanted to, uh, I guess, like heal people or make sure that uh, the wellness of the, the tribe is uh, in good in good order. So I, I, mm-hmm. pretty much that's how Duke is. Uh, are meant to be used as. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's different strain of thoughts in regards to things like traditional healers or duhikas, because I was raised in a home to where my father had this belief that if you took care of yourself, if you exercised, if you did things like ate the right food, yeah. that if you kept yourself strong, that there was never any reason to go to a tuhike. Oh, yeah. Because your body would always be healthy. Yeah. And then my mother, because her grandfather was a tuhike, I think that she kind of leaned a little bit more towards going to those types of practices or having um, at least uh, going to go see them so that you can make sure that you're well. And so I really was raised in a home that had two different school trains of thought in terms of how they went about it. But, you know, it really does make sense to me that, you know, the way that my father kind of instilled that belief in us that, you know, if you really did take care of yourself um, on the physical side, then there was really no need for you to go see seek those types of services. Oh, yeah, that is true. I mean, like, you know, duhikas in a way were used because you somebody was looking at you angrily and you wanted to find out why this person was doing something to you or you wanted to have like maybe there's something wrong with your insides that you don't know what's going on and uh you know there there's a 
I guess there is a, a sort of like a difference between bone doctors and um, traditional healers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think too, also like there's some contexts too that we didn't really discuss in regards to Tehikis because you mentioned a little bit as to why people don't out here don't really like to talk about him, and it is something that I don't talk about either with folks that I'm not comfortable with. And so, like yeah. if you were, you and I were to have a private conversation, and we've had these conversations before, then you know I would share more about my opinions and share kind of more about you know what my beliefs are. But really, it's because that you know there's a sacredness in terms of uh, how we perceive them which is another reason why we don't talk about them and it's it's the same concept i guess really about how we talk about our ceremony and certain things about our ceremonies that we don't include when we have these conversations on the podcast and i think that that's probably how other people's perspectives are as well and i i think that you know a difference is that with tuhikas it's because we have this belief that it it almost it, that it almost overlaps with this concept of like if you're a fan of the marvel cinematic universe like with doctor doctor strange yeah and that you know that there's this whole other universe and that there's this whole other type of um i guess in a way magic that happens and but it's kind of a difficult thing to talk about to where you actually discuss it in a way where there's validity behind it at least in the way how we think of what validity is because then you know now we're, we live in this day and age to where if you can't see it then i'm not gonna believe it but hope peace, the concept of hope, especially how we perceive our ceremony, how we perceive our world, that there's a lot of concepts of things that we don't see, but yet we still believe that they exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the same way as like, you know, we don't we don't see Santa Claus, but yet we still believe in Santa Claus and hope he's love Santa Claus for some reason. <laughs> my my favorite one is uh, I, I think it was like a Santa Claus movie where you know the the father was telling his son that you know it, I I just can't believe something if I haven't seen it in my life. Oh and yeah. So the son responds to him and he says, "Well, have you ever seen a million dollars before?" And the father <laughs> was like, "No." But you know, a million dollars exists, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it really does take us to go back to the to the to the younger, the youth minds, to really think of these things. But you know, that that really is kind of the context, and you know, I, I guess in terms of our traditional healers. Yeah. And um, but I guess you know, kind of sharing some experiences from your childhood or even you know your adulthoods. What are some concepts of traditional medicine that you've? Uh, that that you've seen being administered or taken that you're willing to share. I mean, like you know, we've we've all been to Tuikas as children, every, you know, one or another, and it's because maybe your mom has thought that you know there's something wrong with you, and um, sometimes your mom doesn't want to pay a hefty bill at the the local IHS. You know, and then just taking to traditional medicine. No one pays a hefty bill at <laughs> IHS. That's why we go to IHS, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't charge you like I, they charge me <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so i must be the only one getting charged then i don't think you got charged <laughs> but anyway the concept of that i know is, who you work for carl <laughs> i know you didn't get charged <laughs> but the whole concept of it is that you know we wanted to keep that tradition strong of like the in a way that there is something that maybe Western medicine does not uh, offer or does not see, um, like, like there, you know, that movie, um, uh, what was it with Tim Allen? Remember the Jungle, this. Jungle to Jungle? You know? yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard of the movie. Yeah, Jungle to Jungle, where Tim Allen goes and says that he's like to this shaman, this uh, the shaman, the medicine man, the you know the the witch doctor, and. You know, he, he talks about like, you know, he's going to go on this great journey and uh, and it's something that he knows that what Tim Allen's going to do at the end. And Tim Allen's like, you know, oh, you know what? I'm just uh, I don't believe in this hocus pocus kind of deal like that. And and sure enough, I guess that's that same concept of like believing in something that maybe Western medicine cannot figure out. And so that's the reason why most Hopis opt to go into into going into like uh you to know the IHS yeah to IHS or maybe even to like the Duhikia in a way so mm-hmm. 
And you know, it, it, it is when I think about like, I guess my experiences when I think about being young that, you know, some of those medicines that we used to take from our own um, culture was uh, a lot of it came from the, the juniper tree. Oh, yeah. And so you think about uh, in, in Hopi, um, what is the word for juniper in Hopi? Mamapi. Um, I think that's specifically for the branches. But that's just Mamatsuki. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that the, the, they would take like the, the branches from the trees and then you yeah. boil them and then you would drink whatever concoction uh, comes yeah. from from the the boiled water or you would uh smoke you would you would burn the the leaves of the tree and then those would be used too or you would also um usage of the root oh from, yeah from the tree was also used too and so those are some things that i remember and it kind of makes me laugh because i didn't know this until i got very much older but when you hear about hopis or even navajos i think they is one of their practices too when you when you hear about them talking about burning cedar you're not burning cedar, you're burning juniper. <laughs> because I learned that there are actually no cedar trees that exist in our forests out here in Arizona. And so, you know, that's kind of this big misconception that, you know, the trees out here on the reservation are, are juniper trees. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that too. <laughs> I, I Actually, I found that out um, I, when they did that uh, extreme home makeover for... Uh, for uh, Lori Pais to when he was uh, parents because yeah. they were out in Tuba and you know the guy he's a master uh, a master uh, carpenter and yeah. so he was the one that told the family you know that hey, there's no there's no cedar trees here in Arizona and so what you guys burn is actually juniper <laughs> so a white guy told us yeah, that we're wrong took a bahana to tell us <laughs> that we were wrong about you know our, our labels for our own medicines so you know that Pepto Bismo that you drink all the time? That's not Pepto Bismo. <laughs> that doesn't really cure. That doesn't really think, cure anything. What you think is being cured. <laughs> but anyway, you know the, the the whole idea between Western medicine and traditional medicine is always in that kind of constant battle that the the latter always kind of wins, pretty much. Yeah, that that is true, and you know I I think that you see that happening with a lot of of our our beliefs of the past yeah is that we're leaning more towards the western society that we're leaning more towards mainstream society because then you know i mean as a parent you know when sometimes your kids are having ailments that that is your quick reaction to take them to the to the hospital instead of to a or to a traditional traditional healer yeah and i i think that you know because we focus so heavy on the sciences now especially in education that you know it's starting to um i guess become a part of our own personal belief systems that we believe in these concepts of science but you know it, for for me and i think probably it's true for you as well is that you've had so many lessons in terms of hopi and our perspectives and ideologies and our own traditional concepts of botany our own uh, traditional concepts of zoology that sometimes you do see places where this Hopi belief system especially when it comes to things like our actual physical environment when it comes to plants when it comes to animals when it comes to the land itself that our belief system about what that is within our own world is further advanced than the white man's science oh yeah but yet you know we we tend to lean heavily on the white man's science for some reason exactly and those are actually good points to that we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break here strong ones every strong ones design has a story and a unique meaning they create designs to celebrate traditions of running and uplift native cultures across the globe they also partner with local artists on special projects in hopes to expose talent and creativity of hopi people strong ones are often referred to as ho hongvit in the hopi language they can be found at ho hongvit.com that's h o h o n g v i t.com and we're back and also, we forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode that we have a special guest today. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have a special guest today, and I'm really excited for, for bringing her on. She's actually somebody that was born and raised out here on the Hopi Reservation and decided to become a physician. Oh, yeah. And so I'd like to bring onto the podcast Dr. Perlene Papiktuita Tomosi. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Morning. For, for Good the, morning. 
for, See, for, I told you that's a morning show. <laughs> <laughs> for for those of you that might not uh, understand the Hopi language, uh, Perlene's uh, Hopi name is uh, doesn't know how to make beaky. So that's what, what that the pick she knows how to make beaky. <laughs> no, but uh, Doctor Tomosi is my clan sister, and so that you know we kind of talked about that dynamic a lot about how we tease each other, but you know teasing aside, you know I'm very happy that she agreed to be on here and very proud of the journey that she made. So Perlene, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I just want to say anything that J-Man said today is com- a complete lie about me, unless it's good, <laughs> unless it's good stuff. <laughs> I agree too. So, <laughs> and so, um, and so uh, Perlene, if you can, uh, I guess kind of just give introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, I guess kind of just share a little bit about your experiences growing up here on the reservation and kind of, I guess, give us a little bit of insight as to why you chose this career to go into medicine. Sure, sure. Well, of course, to start off, my name is Perlin Tomosi. I am a water clan from the village of Isomovi out in First Mesa. Again, thank you for having me uh, join you guys today. And as Jayman had mentioned, you know, I'm currently a family physician. I was uh, born and raised in good old uh, Palaka, well, born in King Canyon, but born, raised in Palaka. And I, I grew up in a, a single-parent home. Um, but before, in my younger years, my uh, maternal and uh, maternal maternal grandfather and grandmother um, were in the home with myself and my um, mother, who I was currently working at the time. And so they played a huge part in, in helping to, you know, raise me from when I was uh, just a baby to about, I say, you know, three, four years old. But as young as I was, um, you know, I can, I I remember a lot of being with them, you know, day in and day out. And unfortunately, when I was um, younger, my grandmother was diagnosed with stage four terminal breast cancer. Um, And so um, a lot of the, the, my, my last, I guess, you know, months and days with her were, um, spent with the, you know, the field health nurses making home visits to our home because, you know, it got to the point where she was bedridden and, you know, on oxygen and, you know, just kind of all those end of life care things going on in our home. And so from that young age, you know, I was exposed to kind of this whole, you know, Western medicine part of of things. And, you know, at that young age, you know, I didn't understand a lot of what was going on, but you know, looking back at it, you know, it just always intrigued me, you know, why, you know, different medications she was having to take, you know, the whole oxygen, you know, all of that, it, it just um, always intrigued me, you know, why are you doing this? You know, my sister, you know, why are you, why does she need this? You know, why does she need that? And just from that, and then, you know, after her, her passing, you know, my grandfather still stayed with us, but, you know, at that time he was a, um, or he, yeah, he was a type two diabetic, you know, very poorly controlled. So, you know, it was just, uh, the norm for me to have, you know, open our refrigerator and there was, you know, insulin bottles there. And so it just always, you know, I was always exposed to in, in from that perspective of things. And just, you know, once, you know, I got old enough to have to go to, you know, my well child checks and my sports physicals, all of that, it still just always stuck with me, you know, that it for some reason it, it just sparked something in my brain that, you know, um, you know, I sparking my interest. And so I, I also um, grew up in a home where, you know, we go to Hikis, you know, when things were bothering us or we felt we needed it and was more raised in kind of the traditional aspect that way. And I, I guess that kind of helped me to see both sides of things. And so I, I had, I came up with this, you know, idea or this, that sparked this idea in my head, you know, what better person or way could I um, help bridge, you know, this gap between the whole Western medicine and those of us that kind of grew up and believe more in the traditional way of things than to, you know, pursue a career myself in in medicine to kind of help, you know, bridge that gap. Because I mean, like I said, you know, there, I feel like now in this day and age, I think people are starting to embrace each side of things more and more. But, you know, back then, it, it was kind of a, a separation, like, you know, you either do one or the other. 
Um, but that was kind of, you know, why I chose to, to come into medicine. And so I, like I said, I was born and raised out there, attended Palaka Day School when it was still Palaka Day School. <laughs> and that won't, will take away my age, but... Um, <laughs> And then I went on to school at Hopi Junior Senior High School where I graduated and then attended college at uh, for a year at ASU and then moved to NAU. And then actually took a little break from school, I'd say about three years. Um, and then, I mean, it was always in my head, though, that, you know, I, I want to become a doctor. And so finally I made that decision, you know, I think it's time that I um, move forward with the medical school process. And so I applied and there's this program that I think Jayman is is familiar with called um, InMed and short for Indians into medicine. Um, and there's several, I'm not, I'm not quite sure which medical schools have that program now, but the one that was kind of big in it when I was um, applying with the University of North Dakota. Awesome. And so um, I had um, applied through their process and, you know, by luck of the draw, I guess, got a interview. And then not too long after my interview, uh, was notified that I was selected to to become part of their medical incoming medical school class, and so there I went, packing up my things, this little old um, Hopi res girl that had never been any further, really out of the state of Arizona, <laughs> um, wow. to move so, to you know North Dakota to pursue so, my my goals and my dreams. So, so Perlene, quick question. Uh-huh. Um, so when you were at Hopi Junior Senior High School, was it called Hopi Junior Senior High School back then? Or was it like Keems Canyon High School back in the <laughs> I'm not 40s or it was a BIA. It was probably it was a BIA <laughs> high school. <laughs> I, I, I guess, uh, you know, we had a conversation before we started recording because then, you know, we did talk about uh, because I guess in the field of medicine, especially in this field of Western medicine, and he did mention it, that I did once upon a time work for a program called Indians into Medicine at the University of Arizona, that a lot of our people out here do have ambitions, especially our young people of uh, going into the, the healthcare fields. And so, you know, we talked about really that the only knowledge that a lot of us have about the healthcare fields really comes from like Grey's Anatomy or Scrubs <laughs> or what was Carl mentioned a few other shows, Doogie Howser. Doogie Howser. <laughs> and, and so I guess if you can give us a, a, a quick, um, I guess, idea of what that medical school process is like, because then, you know, I think that and we've Carl and I have talked about this a lot. The fact that a lot of us that grow up on the res- reservation in terms of opportunities on the Western side that we really are disenfranchised. And so when you think about working in the health professions, you only think of, oh, I can either become a doctor or I can become a nurse maybe a pharmacist or a dentist, but yet there's this array of different types of professions, all these in-betweens that we have absolutely no idea about. So if you can kind of share a little bit about what that medical school process is like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I agree there are so many different, you know, healthcare careers out there these days. But as just, you know, speaking specifically to to medical school, it it basically requires, I mean, I, I think, and I think a lot of people who are, you know, just in my experience, speaking with my medical school classmates, a lot of people who become doctors definitely know they want to become a doctor from, you know, a very, a very young age. And so I think just going in, into it with that mind frame, um, I mean, you kind of shape, you have to obviously definitely uh, major in undergraduate and in specific uh, major because, you know, there's different requirements, classes that you have to take that are required to get into medical school. So once you finish that, then the whole process, uh, well, there's one big test you have to take called the MCAT, which is the admission, I guess, test for medical school. And it's a big um, determining factor in whether you get um, permission to enter or not. And so that happens usually around your junior, senior year of undergrad. When I applied to medical school through the InMed program to the University of North Dakota, their application process was separate than the whole, what we call the AMCAS process, which oh, wow. is the process that all other medical schools that don't have an Indians into medicine um, program go through. And so I had actually, um, being the notorious procrastinator I am, I, I actually missed that deadline. And so it just so happened that the Indians into medicine deadline was still open for North Dakota. And so I did that application. Once you I get over that application process, then you, you find out, you know, whether you've been um, invited for a interview. And that's basically where there's one day set aside where they pull in all the applicants. It's much, you know, it, it almost feels like um, I've never been in court, but I imagine this is what it feels like when you're, when you're on the, you know, the stand, but you're basically on one end of the table and you have 
you know, all these other um, doctors that are associated with the medical school, you know, the dean of the medical school, um, several professors who are just kind of, you know, interviewing you. And of course they say, you know, be yourself, be comfortable. I mean, but it's kind of hard to be yourself and be comfortable when you're (laughs) basically, you know, having all these um, questions at you. And um, and then they, Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, ahead. well, Carl and I had been to court, so we could tell you exactly what that feeling is like. No, I'm just kidding. So I it, believe it, you have, but I don't believe Carl. Has. Yeah, I have never been. <laughs> Carl's so, the ultimate source, boy. I don't think anybody has ever believed Carl's been to so, court. So is there, is that like you be, you became a f- uh, family doctor, right? You're, you're a mm-hmm. physician. Is there, mm-hmm. is there like a, a different type of uh, like you know, medical doctor versus just family doctor or family practice? So it's basically, um, there's different specialties, I guess I should say. Medical school is just, um, all, all doctors have to go to medical school, whether they're surgeons, plastic surgeons, you know, neurologists, all medical, all doctors go to medical school. Once you finish the four years of medical school, well, I should say the first two years for most medical schools are basically classroom. You know, it's, it's laying the framework of, you know, learning how the body works. And then once you kind of get a good idea of that, then you kind of go into, you know, all the, di- the disease process and learning these different illnesses and treatments and how to diagnose, you know, all of that stuff. Then the last two years of medical school, for me at least, were applying that. You know, they're, it, it, they set up rotations for you to rotate through the different specialties, like, like you mentioned, you know, surgery, um, neurology, OBGYN, family medicine, psychiatry, all of that you rotate through. And I think that's um, not only to apply what you've learned in the real world, but to also kind of help you determine, you know, what type of doctor you want to be. So, um, and then, so uh-huh. like, uh, so uh, was that your first choice? The family doctor, was that your, or family physician? Was that like it your actually, first choice? It actually wasn't. I, I really wanted to become an OBGYN. Um, that was my my what I I was I really had thought I want to. and I think that's probably because I just had awesome um, preceptors when I did my OBGYN ah. rotation. But the thing that you know, it, I think family medicine was definitely a close second. But I think what 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 turned the tables for me was when when the OBGYNs you know go in. I really like delivering babies, <laughs> but once you know you deliver the baby, your job is kind of done, and then the other. You know, whether it be a pediatrician or a family physician kind of steps in yeah. and then takes over the care, you know, of the new baby. And then once the mom follows up, usually it's with either with the OBGYN or her family physician. And so I want it to follow the baby. You know, I want it to watch that. I mean, because how neat would it be to deliver a baby and then watch that baby grow up, you know, into yeah. Yeah. adulthood and still be able to take care of them. And so that was the turning point for me was that, you know, you know I, I want to become a family physician so that I could, and a family physician is exactly what it, it's meant to say that you take care of the family, you know, from infants all the way to, you know, geriatrics. We, wow. we should ask Saul that question about what does it feel like to deliver a baby and then watch that baby grow up and still take <laughs> care of that baby <laughs> into adulthood. So we'll have to get Saul Anse on the uh, on the pod to, Soul, to ask Saul thinks I'm cool, so you know what you can. <laughs> I, you know, I, there, I think that there's so much to talk about, especially in, in the field of medicine, in the field of health, because, you know, there, there was a, a comment that I did want to make, especially in regards to like medical school, because I think that a lot of the underrepresented uh, people that work within medical schools or students that are trying to get into medical schools, that there's this huge argument that medical schools, especially the admissions process, really were built to serve our particular population because then, you know, I think one thing that you mentioned that you didn't mention, Perlina, in terms of applying for medical school, that it does cost because then if you get interviews at medical schools in different parts of the country, that it involves traveling and then, you know, having to uh, buy uh, things like suits and, you know, the proper attire when you're doing uh, the interviews for, for the medical school. And so, you know, I think that there could probably be a huge conversation around that, a huge uh, conversation around something that, uh, you know, your favorite academic podcasts like to reference as um, 
as institutionalized racism. But one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about, though, today was, uh, I guess, you know, our, our contemporary state of, of our Native people. And that, you know, unfortunately, that if you're somebody that's familiar with this, that Native people have high rates of almost everything that you could have high rates of in regards to bad health, high rates of diabetes, high rates of uh, high cholesterol, high rates of things like heart disease, alcoholism, and etc. And so, you know, out to Carl and Perlene. Why do you think that the reason why a lot of us are unhealthy these days? Well, for me, I think that uh, everybody likes pickles out here for some reason. <laughs> pickles and hot Cheetos in that same combination. <laughs> it's a, together, yeah. yeah. And then even before pre-COVID, you know, during our thikivis, during our dances, you'd have the uh, Piccadilly Piccadilly, The snow cones are the snow like, cone yeah, the snow cone sellers. And you, I think it's because of Western influences that, that are so, um, so strong in our culture. You know, we have uh, during Tikives, you'll have on the outskirts, you'll have like people selling burritos and burgers and hot dogs and stuff like that. And you, you mm-hmm. or snow cones. And, and those are the types of things that are not a traditional or associated with, with like the traditional ceremonies that we have. And, and when you, when you think about ceremonies, you're, you're thinking about something simple like, you know, nukwivi and bikami and biki, you know, those are the things that are simple enough for you to eat. But yet we consume a lot of the Western society stuff. And that's what contributes a lot to our understanding that, yeah, like dikives are meant for like food, that it's in the grand, grand part of everything. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's, yeah. I think even going back further than that, you know, growing up when, like I said, you know, I grew up a lot with my grandparents. I always remember, you know, getting uh, commodity food boxes. Yeah. And it right. was always things, you know, Processed. that weren't the healthiest, you know, the big old block of cheese and the huge can of peanut butter, you oh. know, all, all of that stuff. And I, I, so I think, you know, it, it, we, we definitely do have a lot of, you know, Western influence. And then also, you know, we, I, I honestly don't say a lot of us can, can truly say we are, you know, traditional anymore. And I mean that in that, you know, back then when, you know, the men were going to their fields to plant, you know, they had to walk there. They had to run there. Whereas in these days, um, you know, I know J-Man just jumps in his car and, and heads down to his field and doesn't, or he even has a field. I fly to my field. No, he, he he, he virtual plants now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I believe that. (laughs) And so I, you know, I think we just don't have that. We have a lot of, you know, the Western influence as far as what we're consuming. And then, you know, we're just not as active and because we, we, you basically we're spoiled, you know, we're, we're, we kind of come into this day and age where we're not required to, move and you know lift things and and all of that as we as back then when when they they you know they had no choice that was just how they lived mm-hmm. so so if a doctor says you know don't lift heavy objects do you listen to the doctor or you listen to uh the hopi side <laughs> <laughs> i think you listen listen to your body that's what i always tell my patients <laughs> the, the, I, I i think the other thing too you know is that you know the fact that we are living unhealthy now and the fact that, you know, a lot of us that we're not really doing anything about it because, oh, yeah. you know, Carl and I, we've had mm-hmm. these conversations often that we know that we eat unhealthy. We know that we need to exercise more, but it's something that we don't do. And I think that this is probably uh, something that's very true with men is that, you know, we, we have no concept of um, the, the, what do they call it? Uh, like, like, um uh, I guess taking care of yourself before there's actually a problem. And so, you know, most of us, Mm -hmm. you know, like if there's something wrong with us, we're not going to go to the hospital until, you know, absolutely can't walk. Yeah. We're dying and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'll maybe go to the hospital. (laughs) You're like, Oh, what's this weird lump on my (laughs) neck? I'll, I'll, I'll I'll take care of it when it starts hurting. In about 30 years or so. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess Perlene, you know, from your experiences working in the hospital, being a family physician, is that something that you see often, especially with native folks? Oh, for sure, for sure. And and like you said, the the males are definitely, you know, <laughs> more notorious at that than the females. But again, I think um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, males are are, you know, 
have this, you know, sense of pride in them, um, this masculinity and, and to, to have to admit that, you know, they're hurting or something's wrong or they don't feel right, you know, goes against that. And so I think that's where, um, a lot of, you know, I, I can tell you countless stories of, I mean, one time I was working in the ER and this old, uh, the seven man came in and his basically was gangrenous. It was black, you know, but he, he said, you know, well, I have sheep to herd and I have water to haul and, you know, I can't, you know, I had no time basically to pay attention to my foot, but basically dying. And, you know, unfortunately had to end up having, I want to say a, probably a below the knee amputation. But, oh, wow. I mean, Man. yeah, I, you know, we see that all the time. And so um, that's definitely uh, a struggle um, that, that I think a lot of us physicians, especially when it comes to Native Americans, oh, definitely sure. um, deal with, you know, on a daily basis. And then the other conversation, too, that I wanted to have was because we talked about it at the beginning when we set up this episode that as kids that, you know, the the place that we went to, if we weren't going to a Tuhiket to get our treatment was to, to this place that, you know, the notorious Indian Health Services, IHS. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that, you know, the whole concept of IHS is very interesting for those that aren't familiar that, you know, that the federal government does have an obligation, a legal obligation to take care of tribes because of the land that was given to the federal government by tribes. And so, you know, that that kind of created this concept of the IHS system. And so, you know, the IHS system is kind of something that's always been almost in a way a, a bullseye, I guess, from our native people because of, you know, what, how we think that, you know, the IHS is ill-equipped to take care of the services that are needed by our communities. And, um, but then, you know, growing up on the reservation that when you've only gone to an IHS facility, that you develop this idea that that's how hospitals are. That it's not until you see other type of health facilities off the reservation, because I remember that my father had some treatment that needed to be done at a hospital in, I think it was like Surprise, Arizona or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And he went there and he had to stay overnight. And man, I was so impressed by their hospital. Really? <laughs> because then, you know, the, the room that he had to stay in, it was almost like a hotel room. <laughs> and the thing that I really remember was that when it came time to breakfast, to meal time that they actually had a menu really and that you got to choose you know what what it is that you wanted for breakfast lunch and dinner and then they would bring it and I was just like all awestruck like wow you know this must be like a real fancy hospital but yeah not, not realizing that you know that there are a lot of other health care a lot of other health facilities that are like that and so when you think about your local reservation IHS you know like for me you know it'd be a tuba hospital up there in tuba that you know you think about those rooms that you have to stay in if you have to stay in overnight <laughs> that you have a roommate and yeah. then, you know that it's a building a structure that was probably built in the 60s yep. 70s and you know back in my day I actually used to work there in the hospital and I used to work in the kitchen and I can attest that the kitchen food is actually pretty good it's pretty decent but the fact that they come on these trays that look like that they were purchased in the 70s and the <laughs> 80s <laughs> and they, that make it really look you know not not Real very good hospital like and, and yeah so you know, I think that because for Native folks that that's like what we're accustomed to and that a lot of times that, you know, for anybody that has had family members that suffer from a particular type of ailment, that sometimes your local IHS isn't equipped to take care of those types of things. And so you have to travel miles uh, to Flagstaff, Winslow or even Phoenix to, to receive those types of um, services. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, like I said, there's this bullseye on the IHS. IHS, that the IHS doesn't take care of our people. But yeah, I heard a really good quote from a native physician. His name's Dr. Donald Warren in explaining the whole IHS, IHS system. And he basically described it as if you think of IHS as a vehicle and that that vehicle, in order for it to get from point A to point B, it needs X amount of gas in order to drive from point A to point B. But saying that the person that's responsible for filling the tank up with gas is Congress, because Congress essentially is the one that designates and creates these budgets. And so really, it's Congress that cuts that 
field card in half. And so it only allows IHS to get halfway from point A to point B, which is a real huge issue. And so, um, Perlene, I'm sure you have a lot of experiences working with IHS facilities. And so if you can speak a little bit about that dynamic and, and especially from somebody that's actually worked within it. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, um, you know, we had mentioned, you know, I grew up in that, you know, that IHS system and, um, you know, back then it's when the Kings Canyon IHS was still, still there and standing. And so, you know, as a kid, I remember, you know, going in and waiting for hours and hours and to have, you know, a, a one minute visit with a doctor who barely looked at you. And, you know, like I said, a lot of the time back then it was, you know, my grandparents taking me in, um, and, you know, a lot of our, our um, grandparents, you know, speak mainly Hopi. And so to have a doctor, you know, kind of roll their eyes at you because, you know, your grandparents are speaking a language they don't understand and not fully understanding what's going on with you. So, you know, of course you, you get, you know, sub suboptimal care. And so, like I said, I think that's a lot of the, the framework as to why I decided to become a doctor and probably a lot of, you know, a lot of the new, um, younger up and coming physicians. That's probably a lot of the, the drive behind why they also want to become physicians is, is to kind of, you know, I think if, if we, um, the more of us that know that system and, and have experienced it can, you know, step in and help to, you know, change people's way of thinking and the way, um, of practicing, I, I think that that definitely can, we can move forward. And like you said, you know, that that's a perfect example of what the IHS system is, is, you know, it, it, it's definitely in Congress's hands. And so now speaking to, you know, the Native Americans that are, are making their way up there to Washington, D.C., you know, that's awesome that, you know, a lot of us are, are going to benefit from that, not only in the IHS system, but other, um, you know, avenues as well. But I think, I think in this day and age, you know, that's why I, I really try to, you know, any young mind I can try to help mold to pursue their their dream of going into healthcare, whether it be, you know, like you said, a physician, dentist, um, you know, x-ray technician, pharmacist, any, anything. I, I think the more of us that kind of infiltrate those IHS systems, you know, we, we can kind of help to change that for the better. And then, you know, we, we, un, we come in with a different mind frame, you know, we knowing both sides of oh, the yeah. traditional part of it and the Western part of it. I, I think a lot of us younger providers definitely practice in a different way than, you know, I guess you're, you're old. Western, I guess when Western you think man. of a doctor, you know, yeah, you think of a doctor. I, in my mind, think of, you know, this old, you know, 67 year old <laughs> Bahana man, you know, <laughs> but you know, these days, you know, you, you definitely, and I hear it all the time, you know, I'll walk into a, a visit and, you know, people's eyes basically pop out of their head, you know, you're the doctor. And so, I think it's definitely awesome that we have a lot more Native Americans who are becoming interested in the oh, health because yeah. we yeah. definitely, you know, need it to help bridge that gap. And I think once we get to that point, we will see a lot more of the of, of people utilizing IHS and, you know, not one. Because if you think about it, I know when I was smaller, I was scared to go to IHS. You know? oh, <laughs> there yeah. was almost that, that fear there um, of, you know, of what are they going to do to me? But hopefully, like I said, we can kind of help turn turn that around and, mm -hmm. and not make it such a, a scary or a bad scary, experience scary anymore. thought like that. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, you know, so, when I think of physicians, I think of somebody attractive like a Christina Yang <laughs> or uh, <laughs> April Kepner, you know. And, um, I've already expressed these uh, opinions to the Res or, famous or, wife, so I'm uh, not afraid of Demi, uh, Demi sleeping Moore. on the uh, couch. <laughs> so before we go, is there anything uh, that you would like to say for like inspiring uh, people, youngsters that want to pursue a career in a medical field? Is there anything that you want to say to them? Um, just, you know, I've, I've, I've always said this. I think I, I grew up, you know, like I said, super poor, um, single parent home. Once my grandparents were gone, you know, I didn't have the the best upbringing, you know, was exposed at a young age to things that kids probably shouldn't be exposed to, you know, alcoholism, domestic yeah. violence, you know, all of that stuff. And so I, I was, I was, I'm probably the prime example of when they say, you know, born to fail, but, you know, we're built to succeed because we're, I mean, we're, we come from strong roots being Native Americans, you know, everything that has been put 
in front of us have always, you know, has basically been to destroy us. But, you know, we're still here. We're still thriving. We're still growing. And so I think um, Native American kids and young adults are definitely, we have it in us to, to, you know, stick it out. Medical school and residency can definitely be a a scary, intimidating thought to think of. But, I mean, I've always said that, you know, if I can do it, anybody can. You know, I, I didn't have. I didn't have a, a doctor in my family to look up to or really anybody in the health field, you know, that could kind of give me advice. But I think if, if you're driven and you want to become better and, and bring this back to my to my home or, you know, to Native American lands, what I learned to help us forward and um, become stronger in this, you know, I think definitely anybody that has a small little spark in them run with it and they can they they can do it if i can do it anybody can perfect perfect all right well thank you for joining us today because you know without your knowledge in the medical field i mean we're we're just basically learning from doogie hauser and house pretty much christina yang <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> christina yang all right well thank you for thank you for joining us yeah, Perle- thank you for having me. Th- thank you, Perlene. Definitely, you know, give a big shout out to you for, you know, accomplishing something that I know is very difficult to do. And so, you know, big shout out to you. Big shout out to your husband, to uh, Satani Stu, man with the iron stomach to be able to uh, for his bono to consume all of that burnt food. So, you know, big shouts out to him. And then also too, I'd like to give a special shout out to give a special shout out to one of our young fans who's uh, having a birthday coming up soon. So a big happy birthday to uh, Bahamia Homes out there. Uh, one of my one of our little listeners out there. And so his request was for Carl and J-Man to be at his birthday party. So we'll see <laughs> Carl and J-Man at a birthday party. We're like the Ghostbusters, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Where we saved the world and they were like destined to just be doing birthday parties. <laughs> when we hit hard times, yeah, that's where we can do birthday parties. <laughs> like 10 bucks and we get $5 each. <laughs> But happy birthday to you guys, or happy birthday to you, especially so. And if you do have birthday parties and you want to have a special request, you know, give us a shout out. I mean, we're, we're slide into our yeah, DMs. Yeah, slide into uh, our DMs and well, we won't we won't turn you down. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, thank you all for out there again for listening to us. Uh, this is episode nine of season four. So um, next week's episode, season 10 will be our season finale. Oh, yeah. We take our little break, our little hiatus, but definitely we'll be pushing out more content through our YouTube channel. We're going to continue with the Cooking with J-Man episodes and a couple of other special episodes that we hope you all enjoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to become a donor, please go to anchor.fm slash CJ podcast to make a donation and to listen to our past episodes. Or if you want to donate a dollar, just go to buymeacoffee.com slash CJ podcast and donate a dollar or give us whatever you want. And then you can follow us on our social medias on at Carl and J man on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to the sun YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Our goal is to reach 100,000 subscribers. That way we can get the special YouTube plaque that they sent yeah. to you. And last episode, I think I mentioned, you know, we're getting a little bit closer, but we're only about uh, 998, 999,800 subscribers away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Carl and J-Man Save the World Podcast. My name is Carl and this is my best friend, J-Man. So long. Quack, quack. <laughs> <laughs>